0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by a Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. The Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at overtheball.com slash sponsors. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Chammadees. So, Chris, I'm back in L.A., you're in L.A., Kens and points uh, unknown. Our producer, but um, no Premier League action this weekend, which was odd because I had to do stuff with my girlfriend over the weekend. It was it was terrible. I had to play tennis and go to brunch. It was uh, it was really hard. It was really hard. So, uh, what did you do this weekend? When what were well, you coaching? Were you on the road? No, we
1: were uh, on at home for training uh this weekend because we played last thursday and then we play again this thursday so a week in between games but yeah really weird to be sitting here in the fall and not have premier league games
0: not have a premier league games and then uh thinking about the world cup let's talk about that a little bit as we're moving forward here with u.s men's national teams because i have a, a bunch of questions about about coaching and everything and how you pair it down and how you pick players especially when you don't have a lot of lead time um, you know, coming into it. But first, uh, no Premier League games because of the death of Queen Elizabeth. So, um, our uh, thoughts and condolences to the royal family. Prince Charles finally has a job. He's now King Charles. Uh, he's in the 70s and he's employed. It's kind of like me. He did his first job. He's got his first job. So, uh, I'm Irish, but we won't go there. But I got to say, my apartment in Scotland, Chris, was about a quarter of a mile from uh, Queen Elizabeth's home there, Bollymore. So, uh, I did a little jog past it what's it like uh, it's beautiful it's just you know like uh, almost a mile of just flat grass you know just beautiful green grass um and you can see it from arthur's seat which was that dormant volcano that i talked about when i was there but uh, yeah i guess that's her summer home and it's just huge and apparently uh that's where she was when she passed away so everywhere where i was hanging out and walking every day to work was where the the Royal Mile, they call it, is where the procession went through. So um, the pageantry is pretty amazing. I don't know if there's another country in the world who does it quite like that. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty amazing to watch. And then the, uh, the king, King Charles, went to uh, Northern Ireland uh, yesterday, or today, no, this morning, and uh, gave a great speech. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, um, you know, what is it? The death of the queen, long live the king, or something like that. I don't know anyway well
1: yeah the cancellation of the games is a big deal on short and huge yeah and and then you know the the king charles now he's he's not a a younger person so that may happen again at some point in the next whatever 20 years and you know do they does the society come to a halt every time this happens
0: well it only happens 75 years ago was the last time it happened so i think um what what you think would happen here if the president died do you think they would cancel the game? i mean when when president kennedy was shot i think they they canceled the games. And then someone said they the country needs it. They need to be able to take their mind off of this terrible tragedy. So I don't know. I don't know what would happen. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I, I heard something about it was also about security, right? Like the police had to, they couldn't be at all the different places and cover the games as well. And that was oh. part of this, of the canceling of the games.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, you know, well, I think you know it's different too because you have an elected leader, our president, and then you have just a ceremonial sort of leader there. Yeah. Um, so I, I doubt if Boris Johnson had died, they would have canceled the games. In fact, they they probably would have celebrated. It's one of the it's one of the names that they were they were shitting on pretty badly over there when I was in Scotland. So uh, all right. So I wanted to talk to you about this. There's Champions League action today, which uh, Barcelona went down um, against Bayern, and Liverpool beat Ajax. The only two games I know about so far, but um. Champions League is one thing, but the U.S. Men's National Team is what I want to talk about. So here we go. We got um, on Wednesday, this Wednesday, we're recording this on Tuesday. So on Wednesday, U.S. National Team coach Greg Berhalter he's going to name his squad for the final two friendly matches, um, one against Japan on September 23rd in Germany and then Saudi Arabia on the 27th in Spain. Um, so he's got to select, Chris, a 26-player squad for the for the World Cup on November night. That's what he's got to get it down to. Um and I guess he made some comments uh last week uh, before the NYCFC Cincinnati match. Um some of the parameters that he's working with. He's narrowed his pool down to about 38 to 40 players he said. That's that's a lot, you know, this late in the game. He's he's settled on about 22 he said um of the 26 players he'll be able to take to cutter. Uh, he'll bring 26 to 27 players for the friendlies against Japan and Saudi Arabia. It's only, um, there's still a lot of players to look at. Um, so what are you looking at it? I mean, he's got September, right? So the September camp starts. Uh, what does he do there? You, you're talking like five players are looking for positions. Are you looking for guys who are peaking, guys who are injured, not injured, uh, attitude? You bring along some young people, you know, all the considerations you have to make as a coach. Yeah.
1: I mean, all that is in the soup of this decision, you know, because you have a, you have a world cup, you know, in a new time slot in November and you only have a week or so of preparations right before where teams are used to having three, four weeks. and, And that's a massive difference. So their September camp becomes, you know, de facto the beginning of world cup preparation, right? So you don't want to have too many variables in that camp. You want to be really working with your closest core group, um, but the, the reality is there are still jobs up, you know, and that are available, probably four or five of them, like you mentioned. And by this time, he and his staff will have, you know, looked at the opponents, figured out a how how the US will want to play in general, and then based on how each game goes and what the requirements are of each game, where they may want some depth and where they may want to rotate and which are the best matchups for each game, and how they may want to approach each game. So there's so many aspects to it that would probably go into the decision making and then from there you work backwards off what the coaching staff's needs are and then trying to meet that in the middle with where the players are in terms of form.
0: What do you mean a coaching staff's needs what, what, why would it be the, oh, the coaching meaning is to implement a win strategically or yeah, yeah like what
1: yeah. Yeah, hey how many how many wide players do they need? How many wingbacks right do they, you know et cetera, et cetera based on where they feel like players are you know how many minutes can the certain guys play like how many minutes can McKinney play? How many minutes can pull a sick play, right? Like there, there's a variable to that if they're not playing their regular football each weekend. So you know you talk to these players in real time. Obviously, if they're at the biggest clubs, they absolutely should still be fit, even though they're not getting match play. They right, should fit for the ninety minutes. That's what these these big clubs have the resources to ensure that. But you know you're trying to just kind of meet the whole group in the middle with what the team tactical needs are in, in terms of roster positions with where certain players are in real time. And you're just blending those thoughts.
0: How long is the September camp that they have? I believe it's only a week, seven to so, 10 days. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that's not much. Uh, you're talking about browning the edges of, of the players is sort of the ones you're taking and not taking. Um, and it's such a, a crazy time. I mean, players play so hard during that to try and, you know, rise above and say, Hey, look, coach, I'm in form right now. And I, re- I remember being, God, I think it was standing with Dominic Kinnear when he got cut. It's such a tough time when that happens with players. It's so just, you know, they've just dreamed for years to at least be in the world cup, get on the squad and then, uh, then hopefully get in. So it's, it's, uh, you got to manage players too, as well. Cause you know, a lot of these guys that aren't going to make the cup, uh, this particular cup will be around in four years for the next one. So, um, you know, you have to manage that as well. So, but I mean, Maybe not, right, Chris? I mean, as a coach, you just want to go in with your best team. You're not thinking about anything for the future, are you? No, you're not thinking
1: about the future. I mean, there's an
0: odd occasion where, you know, and Brazil has obviously
1: done this with some of their most talented youngsters. Um know like a young Ronaldo or something, you know, where where you you feel like you have a good core group and you're willing to sacrifice the last roster spot in your team for the future star so he can get his feet wet and see it and experience it. Right. I, I don't know if we have that luxury nor do we have that player potentially. So we probably just need to literally pick the most efficient roster possible.
0: But think about how the you know the whole lineup has changed since COVID and the last, you know, non-qualifying round that we went through i mean john brooks um he hasn't played since the third game of qualifying he's over to Benfica now i think he waited too long to make that move because he's on the reserve squad there so i think he's he's out uh christian roldon who was sort of on the cusp uh, was taken for a bunch of different reasons uh, along the way here uh, he's sidelined following a groin um, uh, injury and then surgery so i mean uh and then you have the goalkeeper situation which you know, Zach Steffen moves to Man, you know, from Man City in Middlesbrough, um, with the intention of getting regular playing time, um, but then he has an knee injury, so that's kept him out of borough, out of the lineup since August twentieth. Um, and the backup now, Liam Roberts, uh, a fourth division keeper, is is playing well in his absence. So I think, yeah, I think that kind of answers the question. I mean, I think Zach Steffen, Matt Turner, and and uh, Ethan Horvath will probably be the keepers. I think, but I think Turner will start. Though he's not getting time either, but he's not—he uh, hasn't been injured since that the that crazy toe, uh, turf toe that he had.
1: Yeah, I think the goalkeeper position, which we thought was somewhat stable, has been turned upside down a little bit. I mean, it, yeah. it could be that the shuffle—you know—the the, the personnel might stay the same with the three that you just mentioned, but the shuffling of the deck may really change. You know, I, I don't think. That Zach Steffen leaves Man City to get more playing time. I think he was forced to leave, basically. And he yeah, had to leave. Yeah. Yeah. He had to, you know, land on his feet and try to get time. I'm not sure how fit he is right now. And I'm not sure he can trump anyone in the list, you know. So if Matt Turner is a number one, um, that's that would be great. But he's not getting regular minutes either. So you, you always wonder a little bit about sharpness there and game sharpness. But those are our guys you know, what What else are you going to do at this stage? Well, Horvath
0: of? is playing, so perhaps, um, you know, maybe he gets to start. Maybe.
1: I mean, I've always liked him. I, I don't know yeah. if on paper they look at him as a number one, but yeah. I'm not sure how, you know, Coach Halter will, will handle that. I, I know he came out recently with some words about the forwards, and, you know, I don't know if you saw that, but was saying something along the lines of, well, where, you know, people need to play well to get picked up and stuff like that, and the media ran with that as a, as a call to, uh, you know, motivate the forwards, which, I mean, do you really need motivation to make a world? No, you but, you,
0: but, you know, this is what you're saying in form, you know, now we're talking about keepers, you know, you watch the hockey playoffs and it's all about a goaltender's form. Uh, you want a goaltender or goalkeeper in our situation in good form because man, they'll win you some games. So you hope somebody hits a hot streak and you can't tell they to hit a hot streak if they're not playing. Um, as far as the forwards are concerned, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, not the media because the media sort of knows a little better, but sometimes people just react to these, um, these godsends that come, these strikers, these young people to come through and, you know, like Ricardo Pepe, he made his debut for, I think it's called groinage Um one. They had a one nil win and he came off uh, off the bench in the second half and assisted on a winning goal. So, so he's getting some playing time now. Um, but you remember when he was supposed to be the, the savior of all saviors, um, and you you know those of us who've been in the game for a long time are looking going but the kid's 19 relax he's getting you know he's played in two um uh, you know men's matches and he's suddenly the savior of all saviors it's like give him a break let him develop and goes to europe and that's exactly what's happening now um uh, pfock uh, missed a penalty kick but he's getting playing time uh the, the the goalkeeper situation and, and the striker situation are the two that really worry me, um, which is two things that usually, I don't know, at least goalkeepers, we, we usually are covered there. So
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you're right with a shorter lead up where you only have a week or so before the World Cup. It's really hard to, if someone's been not getting minutes, it's hard to support that and make up for it in that short amount of time. You're not going to. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you now have to go with who's in form and you're not going to really influence that because you don't have enough training. So with that being said, you know, you got to ask yourself, I think, as a coach, whether or not you're how much you're going to value form versus, Mm -hmm. hey, I know what this player's quality is. And I'm going to hang my hat on that. And I think every coach is different. You know, I think someone like. I don't know I'm, I, and I don't want to put words in people's mouths but someone like a Bruce Arena would probably say I don't know the form is less important I know I know what his qualities are. He does need to be somewhat playing and training of course, but right. I know what his qualities are and I'm going to give him confidence to to get to that level. Um and some coaches are really really good at that, you know. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, with Pulisic and how much or how little he's playing in these leadups, um how much they lean on him. I don't think we have a choice. I mean, we have Right. Top tier group of talent. And whether or not they're getting minutes with their top team, with their teams or not, they need to play.
0: McKenny's back in. He's playing a Polisic. Let's see what happens. I'm not sure, but, you know, he's obviously in the roster. I think what's been talked about lately, I think we talked about it last week on the show, is do you start Polisic uh, at this point or do you have him come in, you know, 65th, 70th minute uh, in yeah, that way? But you have to. Who else? Are you, who are you going to start ahead of him? Who's more talented? Right. Well, Aronson, Musa, you know, in the there's the, the midfield. I feel pretty good about. Yeah, I'm
1: not um, sure about McKinney's being a part of the Juventus future. I mean, he I know he came off the bench and, and had a goal last week, but there's also talk that he's been shopped to Man United. So I'm not so sure if he's in the in their plans in the longer term. And if he's not, he may not get a lot of minutes these next few months. So we'll see.
0: I think he'd play at Manchester United. I think he's a good Premier League player. Like Tyler Adams is actually proving himself in the in the Premier League, and and I think. You know, McKinney's a different type of player, but, um, you know, I, I think that would be a good fit. And I'd like to see that.
1: Yeah, Man United, because that was the two rumors that Pulisic and McKinney would be shopped to them, obviously, with the American owner. Um, does that make sense? You know, to, you know, how how Leeds has become, has gained momentum as America's team right now. And yeah. If you, if you can. If you can harness, you know, Pulisic and that do you now become America's team? And how important is it to become America's team in terms of, you know, merchandising and well, follow you know, the money, that dude, that kind of follow
0: stuff. the money. And I think that's, you know, yeah. we talked about that on the show as well. You know, yet a lot of American people are following leads now because of an American coach and a couple of players. So I, I see yeah. that, but also an American owner must have some influence though. You don't ever want a, uh, an owner influencing really, you know, team decisions about player personnel, other than what can we afford and what can't we afford? You yeah. know, the coach and director of player personnel should make that choice. But um, yeah. what I would love to see, polisic has got to play, but he'll be playing for us, obviously. Um, and he'll have something to prove. And I think Polisic plays well when he's got a chip on his shoulder.
1: Uh, we'll see, you know, and then you have guys in MLS, you have Ferreira in, in, in Dallas who scored two goals against LAFC this week. You know, and uh, that's – look, he's doing his part. He's he's playing the 90 minutes, and he's getting scoring goals week in, week out. Is that enough to get him on the squad? You know, and then you also ask yourself how much of it will be decided in camp, in the September
0: camp. I, I think Jesus will be on the squad for sure. I think the guys that are on the cusp as far as strikers are concerned are probably Josh Sargent, Haji Wright, Ricardo Pepe, and Pifak. So, um, you know, what we need is a Holland – <laughs> and we'd win the cup, dude. We'd that be. That guy a, is unbelievable. Oh my god, just a bear, just a monster, man. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, uh, you know, anyone that would have spoken about,
1: hey, how will he adjust at Man City? I I, I don't even, I never understood that point. And he, what do you mean? How is he going to adjust? He's just going to score all the time. That's how he's right. going to adjust, right. you know, with that team. But yeah, look, it would be amazing to have an American in that situation right now. We don't. But we've got a good group. I think there are there are question marks and positives, you know, across our roster. But it's the same way with every country, Kevin,
0: yeah, I, I know. But I think I do like the fact that we have options now, and whoever's playing in form because you you and I've talked about this before with you know with when Italy would pick their squad, the people they would leave off, you'd be like, "Oh my God, the guy's not even on the squad." And yeah. you just you know, an abundance of riches. And then, you know, you watch a, a Italy come out and play so defensively in the, the first round. Just, you know, they, they're playing chess, basically, to, to get to the later rounds where everybody else is just trying to shoot like a like a Phoenix. Um, you, you talked about Holland. FIFA 23 Premier League ratings have come out. Where do you think Holland rates in that one? I don't and the second question would be, who do you think is number one for the FIFA ratings? I wouldn't be
1: surprised if De Bruyne was number one. Salah would be really high. Halland has got to be yeah Salah. Salah. Salah Salah. I think
0: you said like salad. I think you're thinking about salad. your lunch.
1: I always get confused with Sane and Mane. I always get those two wrong. Well,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I did too, but not anymore now because they're, they're they're gone. But I think where is com- Halan? Halan is number eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Who's one? You you guessed it correctly. You knew it. It was De Bruyne, man. Because no, I didn't. I didn't. De Bruyne's a playmaker. He's getting assists and he's getting goals. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's the type of player I think sometimes classically you would not notice, you know, because he just does so many things so well. But he puts the ball in the back of the net. I, I mean, you know, that midfielder who has got that that great touch and that great vision. Um, sometimes, uh, you know doesn't always get the the thing that the strikers get which everybody just like the goal winning yeah. the. but he can
1: do everything that's i mean yeah. you know i don't i don't do the fifa thing the 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 rating thing but like he he's one of those really unique midfielders that has evolved to a place where every aspect of his game is a strong point and there's very few players who are that well rounded who else is right. in the top five
0: uh let's see let me look it up here um Number one is De Bruyne. Two is Salah. Three is Virgil Van Dyke. So you're not talking just goals and assists. Oh yeah, man. Well, I don't know about this year, but in you know past years, I mean that central defender came in and he changed the nature of the game. I mean he made Liverpool suddenly who they were. I really believe it. It all kind of codified around. I disagree. I think their game model, like he suits their game
1: model perfectly. So he's able to shine, mm-hmm. but like he didn't bring them there. That's how they chose to play. And then they recruited him to be a plug and play player in that system, which is smart because he fits that system perfectly.
0: Dude, he's got striker speed. He's positionally, yeah. you know, as an Italian, you should know this. He's, positionally, not good he's-
1: defensively. He's not as what? good defense. He's not as good defensively as the Chiellini's of the world. If we're going to talk about that, well, but Chiellini's a little more one-dimensional, I think. Uh, as overall, a one-dimensional in the sense that he's an amazing defender, right? right? Right. But you need to do more than that. Coming right, out of the back now is amazing. Well, Chiellini is a, is a solid passer of the ball.
0: Did you see his assist this week? <laughs> oh my god, Chiellini's
1: yeah, unbelievable. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, and that's like he doesn't even get asked to do that week in week out yet. It's in his tool belt.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I never, I, yeah, whenever I shit on Italians, I know you kind of get really kind of worked up. You want me to shit on the French every week? I, I, <laughs> I just, I like defending. And so like, I mean, I'm willing to give Van Dyke his credit,
1: but I don't think we should say he's the most amazing button down, you know, defensive defender ever.
0: He's just no, perfect is he for the Liverpool system. Wow. Okay. You were quantifying it there. So, uh, and let's see, Ronaldo's number four. Um, he is yeah where's Messi? You, uh Messi's not on there i don't i don't see Messi. he's got to be on there is, no it's premier league dude stay with me what was that oh, like yeah. a test oh I think it's a premier okay have a it. cup of coffee um you know uh Asane scored a couple goals today uh for Bayern um as they beat barcelona and there's a kid who had some sort of you know uh problems when he's at man city i think controlling himself playing within that system because he was a fantastic player and he just didn't quite do it under pep i think he got under pep's skin a little bit and this is what we're talking about with whether pulisic or tyler adams or all these young players you know part of the equation is going to a place where a coach can make you develop better that should be part of the decision i mean like you know ronaldo making a decision about where he's going to go is very different than a young player where you're still in development um so, you know here he is. he just carved up the the Barcelona defense i mean he was he was pretty amazing today, so I like yeah. to see that, and you know you always see like um you know De Bruyne was at Chelsea, Salah was at Chelsea, and the 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 coach just doesn't um doesn't respond to the way they play yeah. and and they they move on and then yeah know, into greatness
1: yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different parts to that, one of it is just timing, like where you are in your career as a player and how what you're bringing to the table fits with what that team is doing in that particular time or that coach is doing. I think with the Sané Pep thing, I would love to know more about that. You know, I mean, I think Pep does best with players that are younger players that he can control and players that are very willing to be detail oriented. And so you start to ask yourself where in that list does he not fit? I mean, he was mobile, talented, young, maybe didn't give in as much or didn't want to be so detail oriented Maybe that's where they butted heads. I, a I think bit.
0: it was. I think he had a problem in the locker room. I think, like, sort of hot-headed. So, um, you know, that was the problem. He didn't like to be taken out or something. Um, but you know, it's funny. The coach never gets call, sort of called on that stuff. Um, yeah, but so- like a
1: lot of players don't like getting taken out, and this is like a Pep thing, right? It's, like you have to be. I don't think this gets talked about enough. Like, you if you play for Pep, you have to submit to Pep, right? And there's a lot of players that don't want to submit you know, whether it's because of ego or disagreements with how they think they can play uh, or should play. And so now I think it's self filters where if you're not willing and able to, you probably shouldn't sign there, but there's that overlap where like you, if you inherit, if he inherits certain players, it may not go well all the
0: time. You know, that reminded me of it. Reminded me of, you know, reading a story about uh, Michael Jordan with Phil Jackson, where he basically was the player stopped running off the ball as we would call it in soccer, in basketball, you know, fill in the lanes and everything because Jordan would sort of do things on his own and he was great, you know, perhaps the greatest, right? So what Jackson said to him after they had lost in the playoffs, he sat on the bus even and and Jordan was crying. And basically Jackson said, look, you have to, you're great. Uh, You can be one of the greatest ever, but you have to play within this system to keep everyone involved, you know, whether it's Pippen and Rodman and all that. So, um, you know, that's, that's, I think what you're sort of intimating with, with, with Pep. He's got a system. It's beautiful to watch. They wear you down. They put in goals. They control possession. And sometimes the individual player doesn't always come out um, as much because because uh, you're playing within that system. But they win. And, I, you know, I think they're going to run away with the league this year. You agree? Yeah, I do think
1: that they can and should. And I think this is their best chance at a Champions League um, with yeah. Lond in that team. Uh, I, you know, I, I – I don't know about the Jordan comparison, you know, cause at the end of the day, I agree with you about, you know, the, the whole story, you know, how he had to buy into the team culture and moving of the ball, right. et cetera, et cetera. But it, the NBA at least is a sport where you could probably still go home with your 27 points a night and, and move the ball around, you know, and certainly Jordan was talented enough to do that, you know, in, in, in football, it's, you know, are you, you going to bag all those goals and, that's why Ronaldo doesn't play for Pep. That's why Zlatan doesn't play for Pep. It's why Pep didn't go back and grab Messi after Barcelona because they would not submit the same way he needs players to submit. Wow. It's an interesting dynamic. I don't know any coach who wouldn't take Messi at any time. I guarantee you behind really? those doors, Pep would not take him. When, Pep, when Messi left Barcelona, there's no reason in the world why Man City would not sign him. And the reason is because Pep didn't want him.
0: That's fun. interesting because you never heard him link to Man City and they're yeah. pretty much linked to all the biggies coming out. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, one down-
1: he wouldn't fit in their game model. He doesn't defend anymore. He doesn't move the amount that he needs to move. And as much as Pep would publicly say, oh, my gosh, of course,
0: but the money, I don't know. And the- Yeah, yeah, he'd play the, the scenes, game, right? Like bottom line, That's he didn't. Interesting. Win. I want to go back to the national team a little bit. Brendan Aronson, man, he's he's doing it. He's doing it in the Premier League at a level. He uh, represents the country pretty well, represents Leeds pretty well. And, you know, there again, you're talking about Jesse March bringing players along and giving them the confidence to do what they do. Um, Tyler Adams has got, uh, you know, has won the fans over as well. So uh, a new day for yeah. soccer. Yeah, no, look, he's
1: easy to root for. He's fun to watch you know, I think from, at least from a coaching perspective, you do your due diligence to select players. And then when it's, you know, when it's bottom line time to perform, you know, you always have this short list of guys or, or, or women that you'd say, well, you know what, no matter what happens, if I'm going down, I'm going down with this crew, you know, and these right. are the players that I'm going to lean on. And to me, he's one of those guys that you'd be willing to go down with because he just gives everything sharp. He's alert. His effort is so high. And he's just a good team person. There's not ego involved there, and he's willing to work for the group. So, to me, it's hard to leave him out of the team. I would imagine he's either starting or playing significant minutes across the three games. You
0: know what? I, you know what I like about the player. He presses, um, th- you know, the back line. He presses, you know, the opposing team's back line pretty well. He's quick. He cuts down angles. He reads things well, uh, and it creates havoc uh, sometimes with somebody that quick uh, working that hard. Josh Sargent from the central position cuts down angles very well I think but he's not as quick so it's not as impactful
1: yeah but that's also how Leeds is playing so you know yeah. there's a different dynamic to how they those two teams press um, you know he's he's been developed in a way under the Red Bull umbrella that you know which is Leeds' style through Jesse ish that he fits is he's just plug and play he fits in perfectly and he can do all those things Greg doesn't Greg Berhalter doesn't necessarily play exactly the same way Um, So there's going to be some differences, but it's still the type of player that can make a difference in a World Cup for the U.S. national team.
0: Uh, I want to talk to you about this. Cristiano Ronaldo has been wanting to leave Manchester United. We've sort of shit on him a little bit for sort of not sticking with his team, with his boys, um, you know, in in the old school sort of tradition. Uh, But here's something good. He turned down two hundred and forty two million dollars to go to Saudi Arabia. And I got to respect that because, like, look, I've not been happy with the golfers that have taken that money. Mickelson, you know, and I mean, at what cost? How much money do you want? I mean, it's it's like how much money can you spend? Do you have any moral compass or anything that's right? You know, we've talked about soccer and the World Cup and FIFA and how you can literally change countries and change lives if uh, you don't reward teams for, for for doing bad things and or countries for doing bad things. And that whole they jump the shark with the cutter. You, you know uh world cup presentation there but so i think like why well, yeah, i'm glad he didn't go but I, 242 million dollars he's got enough money he's got enough money like we talked about this last week as well he wants to play in the champions league i get that um uh, but also can't you take your team to the champions league maybe in the next one and and wouldn't that feel a little better otherwise it just always seems so selfish his moves and now he turns down 242 million dollars so maybe it's not so selfish
1: yeah, two hundred and forty-two million dollars. Two years,
0: two oh years. I mean,
1: you're right. Yeah, Champions League is the goal that he has. Maybe he's going to embrace the challenge that's that he has, which is can you get Man United back to that? And if he has to skip a year, he'll get there next year. I don't think anyone's going to from a goal count. He's trying to be the leading goal scorer in the Champions League, and I don't think that's going to be surpassed this year. So if he can get him back next year. But the way the team is looking, I'm not sure he's a primary player for Man United right now. So you know, how the much influence will he really have versus that 242 million versus whatever is behind mm-hmm. curtain number three, which we don't know, um, because there's also a January transfer window. Right. So like that might right. be something that he could look at as well as a next step in this process.
0: Well, we're coming to the end of the line, I think, with the Ronaldo Messi. You know, this has been a great time to be a footballer. Football fan uh, with these guys. Um, Messi has basically said he's not going to make a decision about his future until after the World Cup. So, um, you know, and they're keen to make a new offer to him, PSG. But I don't know. What does he do? I, I hope he comes MLS. Miami? Yeah, maybe.
1: You know, that's a possibility. Uh, sometimes the, there's the, the tree. There's the Nike tree and the Adidas tree. And uh, Beckham is from the Adidas tree. And so, you know, Ronaldo is Nike and Messi is Adidas. So, Beckham, oh, wow, yeah, probably knows him pretty well through that tree. And that might end him up in Miami on the back end of his career. I think if you're not going to move or run or defend, I think, you know, MLS is, is a tough league to come to. So, I don't know where he'll be in another year or two. You're or
0: playing on turf like half the time. I mean, yeah. if he does his due diligence, I think he might not come because just the amount of travel it is. Um, but he would have. I don't know if he'd have anonymity here, Messi, but he would have more here than anywhere else. It's not like when the yeah. old players used to come here, but um, I mean, it's funny to watch these guys wind down their careers. I mean, Messi's made no, but it almost seemed like Messi didn't want to leave Barcelona. Barcelona left him, uh, you know, basically by just mismanagement and everything. Um, yeah, it's a weird
1: one. Does it go back, you know, and now that Xavi's there. Does that make any sense? I, I, you know, I don't know. I think I think you're right. I think a lot depends on how the World Cup goes, how he does, um, how he feels afterwards, and how the the final PSG campaign goes in the Champions League. Yeah. Still, I mean, bottom line is you're you're gonna roll out a front three of Messi Mbappe, and uh um, and Neymar. Neymar. I
0: mean, it's unbelievable think God, yeah. to think about. So and Neymar's in form as well right now. So
1: yeah, even on a not so great day, they're gonna be. Good enough to win in the Champions League. They may not, you know, for all the weaknesses that they do have, um, with Messi potent- Messi's lack like of movement potentially being one of them. But yeah, th- they're still, bottom line, talent-wise, one of the final what top eight teams that could win it.
0: Yeah, but they they haven't done it. They've certainly underachieved. PSG. They've thrown enough money at it, so uh, maybe maybe this is their year. But again, well, like you said, I, I, my money's on Man City because I just don't see them. That's you know they were playing without a number nine and 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 beating everybody so yeah. now with haaland i mean it's almost it's ridiculous well that i was going back to what you were
1: saying about messi and ronaldo kind of
0: starting to phase out
1: like i really kind of think back to those days when he was at barcelona and ronaldo was at man united I mean, uh, at real madrid yeah and they used to play two classicals a year and everything would come down to the wire every year and like they're going for the golden boot like that was those are the best days yeah. those are the best days
0: and I think Lewandowski's gotten the short shift here because, I mean, he is a player, man. He, he didn't do anything today. He missed a couple of opportunities. I think he was perhaps a bit in his head being back at Bayern for the first time. But, I mean, that dude is a finisher, um, you know, and, and has played so well the last couple of years. And then, you know, he's ranked like third or or whatever for the uh, for the Ballon d'Or. So it's uh, he must be annoyed. He may be hoping this is his year at Barcelona because he's certainly put them back in, not today, obviously, but um, he's put them back into at least, you know, contention.
1: Yeah, remarkable player inside the box. Absolutely remarkable, world-class, and fit, strong, experienced, fast, physical, tall, big, amazing. What a
0: profile. You know what's bugging the shit out of me, though? I got to say this, the whole offside thing uh, with a person's clearly in an offside position and they let the play continue. I mean, clearly in an offside position. And I just, for the life of me, I do not know what the logic is there that we'll let the let it play out. And half the time, the players are kind of going half in, half out. And, um, you know, uh, Van Dyke took a ball to the face um, today, you know, and, and gets pissed because I, I don't blame him because the guys, there were two guys offsides and, and the flag wasn't raised until the play sort of petered out. So uh, there's two get a ball in the face and petered out in the same sentence. So <laughs> it reminds me of your, of your prom. so <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so, what's the logic behind not you getting a ball in the face, but, but uh, with with the offsides?
1: Wow, what a
0: uh, segue! <laughs> oh, uh,
1: so I'm going to talk about the offside part to that question. Yeah,
0: sure. Okay, yeah. This is, uh, I, was,
1: I was out of bounds.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <offsides>. <laughs> No, I mean i
0: I think what they're
1: trying to say is like, hey, sometimes we get offsides wrong, so let's play it out. We could always circle back and take the goal back, but let's let it play out so that a goal can be scored potentially and then review it. Um, but it does lead to awkward decisions and situations, and you're right. An
0: awkward, an awkward play, like you, you, yes. you know, that sort of staggered step and, and everything. And I think that all of my point is, I think in the Premier League, they're trying to say now, if it's an obvious offsides, way off, you know, make the call. Uh, yeah, throw the flag yeah. up th- there's like, that and then there's also
1: sometimes when you let that play continue because sometimes it's a through ball or something it could lead to a collision with the goalkeeper and that right a completely unnecessary collision potentially so yeah it's but it's also like if a player is offside but not necessarily deemed to be involved in the play are you are we going back to putting that flag up like we used to so th- yeah. in real time it's hard to assess all those things so i understand how they've gotten to where they are which is okay. We can't always assess everything. We don't always get it right. So let it play out, right. and then we'll circle back and get it, figure it out. But even in the last few weeks in the Premier League, they've been up and down about these rules and how uh, certain goals have stood and certain goals have not. And you know, I, I, the frustration is with the discrepancy and how things are unevenly, you know, handed out each week. And and that's what VAR is supposed to overcome. So it's it's almost like we're back to square one. It's an odd time.
0: Yeah. Hey, I thought about you because uh, Jorginho, Chelsea's Jorginho, uh, said, if you want to blame anybody for Tuchel sacking, it's us Of course, players. I love it. No, most, you know, you can tell that I think Jorginho played well under Tuchel, especially early. Um, I don't know what happened. The wheels definitely came off the bus there uh, at the end. Um, But uh, it's nice when a player owns up like that because it it is the pressure is just, you know, unbelievable on a coach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the coach – doesn't play
1: so you know if if they've professionally put the players through the paces and training in a smart way if they have prepared the match properly and laid out the plans no one's perfect but if you get all of that for the most part correct then the torch passes to the players and besides in-game substitutions and maybe some tactical tweaks uh, which can be overestimated at times yeah. the players play for 90 minutes and then there's loads of plays to make and loads of plays to not make and if they're too inefficient with those, there's no coach who can correct that. So you know you have to uh, try to get to how do you win a Champions League and you're out only a couple of months later you know so yeah you have to ask okay yes, that's the culture of, of, of the club but at the same time it is a new ownership. So I think there's probably a byproduct of a new ownership group that wants to clean house and truly start fresh with their own people. Um, And and you start making these decisions and leaving money on the table. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that executives have to make. Owners have to make decisions that they have to make. And we we see this now across all the big sports. I mean, we have a situation this week where in college football, they fire the coach at Nebraska and two games in, right? Two games in, and if he I think the buyout was 15 million to fire him. And if they waited two or three more weeks, they would have paid seven and a half million. So seven and a half million dollars to get a two week head start on firing someone. So what is that? A game or two? You know, and that goes seven million, seven and a half million dollars.
0: And I think he lost the game by a point or two. Uh it was a lower ranked team, but I, I forget it. Yeah. It's, like, it's a game it's like you Texas- can't lose. Texas tech, I think they played or something, but, um, well, and you know, the problem is then the college kids tuition goes up, you know, and then they're, they're always like the highest paid, uh, employee of the state. Uh, you know, it's really ridiculous. It's gotten yeah. out of control. There's, yeah. there should be, so, especially a, a an institution that's, uh, you know, public, public, basically university. It's, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. You are not at a public university though. You're at a private school. What do you got coming up this week? You have a game Thursday. Yeah. Thursday night. Uh, we're out
1: in Riverside and, um, yeah, we got a couple, I think it's three more games, and then the conference begins. So, you know, we're in the thick of it.
0: So, um, I mean, that's one thing about California. There's a lot of teams close by uh, for you to play. I mean, it reminds me of Boston. We used to go to Boston. You got BC, BU, Harvard are, are all there, all of my safety schools that uh, I toyed with. But, um, you, you know, the, the road trips are, what are, what are killer. And I know um, our buddy Mike Noonan is still ranked number one in the country. They just did a trip through uh, – through new england so um it's travel for a college kid is just very difficult it's very difficult um you know they break out the books on the plane and the buses and it's just not the same really i remember i watched uh, stanford won the national championship and i was at the game in kansas city and i was talking to the coach after the game and all the guys were already showered and looking at their books, I'm like, oh my God, I'd be like trying to grab an underage beer or whatever. I'd be like, woo, I won the national championship books. What are those? Hey, give me
1: a- yeah. You know, I've gone to the final four twice as a coach. And like yeah. one of those, the finals were the week, final exams were the week of the final four. And yeah. the second occasion, the final exams were the week right after the final four. So right. like, imagine you win the national championship on a Saturday night, Monday morning, you're sitting down for a final. You know, yeah, exactly. so that's the reality of being a student athlete and being yeah. people don't hear those things, but that's the reality
0: of it. Well, how many of the football or basketball players are sitting in class Monday morning? It's not happening. Maybe two of them. Andrew Luck would be sitting there and then no one else. Yeah. No, um, no comment. Yeah. Yeah. He had. He was really classy. They interviewed him on the sidelines and about being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he mentioned title nine and his two girls. And it brought a like a, just a, a lump in my throat about, about talking about the, you know, gender equity and, and all that. And that's a class act, you know, because yeah. I, I love what players do that. Like someone throws you a compliment about being into the hall of fame. And all of a sudden you just immediately bounce it back. Go, you know what the big important thing is right now. And, and he mentioned some of the female athletes who were hall yeah. of famers at the same time. I love that. I saw
1: that he crushed that, didn't he? And, and yeah. it, it's, it's like, you want, we want to hear from him more. Or I do. Yeah. You know, I want to hear from him. I think more.
0: we will. I think yeah. we will.
1: Presidential candidate? What do you think?
0: No, I think, you know, uh, I don't think he'll be in the game as much as maybe either an athletic director or um, I don't think he, he seems more of like a social worker type of vibe where he's very well educated. He's, he's articulate. I think he'll, God help us if he goes into politics. I mean, we, I mean, politics just right now is just so bad. But um, really?
1: I think everything's going great. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, uh,
0: his father Oliver Luck has right.
1: been, uh, he's you a, know, a president uh, of teams and has you know worked yeah. in a lot of different roles at the executive level in pro sports. So I think he's got exposure to that. And, I'd
0: love to and on that. the college level, and the athletic, yes. tr- he is an athletic director. And Oliver Luck is behind the split seasons for for men's soccer, Division One soccer. So um, yeah. my point
1: please. is, his dad has that kind of experience. So hopefully, he'll go into those directions but I, yeah, I love his, I love how we handle that situation. I, I'd like to have more of him in the sports landscape.
0: And I love how you handled the, the balls in the face uh, dilemma you. that I, I threw your way. So, okay. Um, I think that's, uh, that's all we got. Anything else before you uh, go back at your coaching sessions over for the day? So uh, just relax, yeah. say hello okay. to your wife and kids. Back um, in LA.
1: Good for you. How's your hey, tennis game?
0: Uh, terrible. It's really? terrible.
1: I'm yeah. a very good tennis player.
0: Are you really? Yeah. Maybe give me a couple lessons and, couple lessons, and then I'll start kicking your ass. That's the way it works.
1: Not not, not interested.
0: Let me ask you this, or I can ask Ken before we get going here. Is the Premier League playing this week, or there will still be Queen stuff going on? I Uh, think they're back. Not your kind of Queen stuff, but okay. All right. So they're back. Uh, They're back this weekend. Great. So we'll have something to do. We'll have something more to talk about uh, next week on Over the Ball. All right, everybody. For Chris Chammity, I'm Kevin Flynn. That's all the time we have for you today. Uh, We'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.